We have a window of opportunity. That's the uh, DVD teaser getting ready for the full presentation of our 2020 vision. And just as it says, by the year 2020, we want to have achieved certain things which would be preparatory to what God has for us in the future. We won't go into long detail about the prophetic dimension to that tonight, but we will be launching the 2020 vision in our vision conference in January on the 11th of January, our leaders coming together, and then the 13th, Friday, and the 14th, we're going to go into more detail on that. But you can continue to prepare with us by taking a good look and praying through the material that's presented here in the Grace for the City little booklet. Turn to page 11. You should all have one in your hand now. As you give them, if you haven't got one, they will bring it to you now. And um, you will recognize the three words that appeared in that DVD presentation. First of all, mature. Secondly, multiply. And the third word, mobilize. And these particular words kind of encapsulate for us the vision that we have for you as we prepare over the next four years. First of all, that you should mature. Now, maturing in the faith is vitally important. When we talk about spiritual maturity, it's about learning how to grow in Christ and take those next steps of maturity in Him. And very largely, that means that we want to see people growing as disciples of Jesus, but also growing as disciple makers of Jesus. We have around 78% of people who are currently in the cell ministry, we want to see that up to 90% at the end of four years, that is the vast, vast majority of people who are not only attending on Sunday, but who are vitally linked together in fellowship so that we can care for one another, lift one another up, and equip one another. Then the word multiply. You know, one of the basic principles of the kingdom is multiplication. The kingdom begins uh, as something small, but it grows and grows and grows until eventually it takes over the whole world. And uh, that is not some kind of military thing or some kind of political thing. It is, in fact, the life-giving principle of the kingdom. I'm going to see you multiply as disciples of Jesus Christ. I don't know what's going on with the sound system, but I kind of like these sound effects. Wow, I wish I changed my message. I could be speaking on the Ten Commandments Moses brought down from the Mount of Sinai. Okay. And then, finally, the, to mobilize you to be in your place of influence in your workplace and in the place where God has called you. And this is more like acting as salt and light in the kingdom of God. In other words, God has given you a capacity to shine for him in a dark place. So don't, don't complain and don't be surprised if God puts you in a dark place. You'll see there on page 13, we've listed the major domains of society where we want to be involved and bring some light. God has put you where you are in a place that requires some salt. Maybe some, there's a, some corruption, maybe there's some darkness, but God wants you to shine. Just by being who you are in Christ, not by being obnoxious, but simply by being there. God wants his people, people sprinkled out like salt in every part of the world, in every part of society. So I encourage you to uh, find out more about that. And in the meantime, have a look on our website. If you go to our KT website, kt.org, you'll find there that uh, Vision 2020 icon. You press on that and it gives you the DVD you've just seen and also 
a full uh, explanation of these things. Living the reality of the kingdom. I want to talk to you about confidence. To tell you about a biblical coat of confidence that we can wear as we move out into the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 says this. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the, Thess- of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Today there is an alarming loss of confidence. I'm not just talking about the loss of confidence in the Bible or in the Gospel. I'm talking about a loss of confidence in our currency. The pound has fallen through the ground. I'm told it dropped to the lowest rate against the American dollar for 30 odd years. There's a crisis which is continuing of confidence in the banking world. There's certainly a crisis in the political arena. Before we say too much about the United States of America, think about our own general election which took place not that long ago. But what a mess is the political world in. There's a loss of confidence that there are any real solutions to certain apparently intractable problems. The migrant crisis, the clearing of the so-called jungle, leaving children to sleep out in the rough, the break of the peace agreement in Syria, the ongoing influence of Islamist terrorism, My God, we say, what is the answer? Well, God has already answered. The answer is the kingdom of God. Tonight I want to share with you that God wants to strengthen you, renew you, and give you, impart to you a fresh confidence in His kingdom. In fact, the kingdom of God is the only thing we can have confidence in today. The Bible says we're receiving an unshakable kingdom. And indeed, the kingdom is here. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom has come. Not in its fullness, but it has come. God's government over the world has begun. Let me say this again. God's government over the world has begun. God has already taken over. And this is a reality. That's what Jesus said. Now, we say we believe Jesus, and this is what Jesus said 
The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. What that means is it's close by. It's tangible. You can reach out and touch it. You can grab it. It's actually come. God Himself has come into the world. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It doesn't say He came nearby and hovers above us. He was made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And where Jesus is, who is the King, there is the kingdom. Yes, yes, no doubt about it. The kingdom is real and it's already begun. And we know what's more that this kingdom, which begins like a seed, which is relatively small in its beginnings, but it grows and spreads according to the parable of Jesus, that it covers the whole of the earth eventually. And at that time, the prophecy will be fulfilled, which says, the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is your future. That is your hope. And we know that as a result of this, one day, God's kingdom will swallow up every other kingdom, and all the kingdoms of this world at that time shall have become the kingdom of Christ and of His God. Confidence in the kingdom of God is not arrogance. It's a humble response to the reality of God, who He is, what He said, what He's done. It's a simple response of faith in His revelation. Now, the Bible and the Gospel writers, the apostolic testimonials that lie behind the Gospel records, lay a great emphasis on the reality of the things that they preached. The Apostle John, for example, draws on three powerful evidences that everybody from that day to this current day and on into the future will know that the kingdom is real. He referred, first of all, to the evidence of history. 1 John 1 verses 1 and 2. Here is the Apostle John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's talking about tangible eyewitness testimony. And he, he experienced it along with the others. He knows it's real. The evidence of history. But it's not just a history which is a story about something that actually happened. It's more than that. It calls for a response and it's about experience. And so John points to the evidence of experience as well as history. In his Gospel, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. What's he talking about? John's Gospel, six times out of seven, and the seventh is implied. He selects seven signs. Six of them are specifically called signs, and one is 
so clearly a sign. He selected seven signs out of all that Jesus did, miracles, which were he could testify to and others could testify. He said these miracles, and he chose them very specially because they were pointing to the life of the kingdom of God. And he says, but verse, these, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then beyond that he says, by believing you may have life. Life in his name. He's talking about the experience of these things. It's not just the facts of history, but it's the revelation that pours forth out of these events that demonstrate the life has appeared and he is available. 1 John 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. That you may know. And that word knowledge isn't, isn't merely intellectual knowledge. It it's includes that, but it goes way beyond that. That you may know deep down in your heart, in your spirit, with a knowledge and a confidence that it's real. On one occasion, he actually says, you know that you know. John 2, 3 says, we know that we know Him. And you can keep going back. We know that we know. We know that we know that we know. We know that we know that we know that we know. That's a, that's a good song there, Fabio, somewhere. We know that we know, we know that we know. But he's talking about a deep knowledge. Now, he was having to remind the people of his generation that we have the knowledge of God. For others were coming and saying, oh, you, you really got to know the secrets of this stuff. You think you know, but we really know. At this particular time, there was an idea developing which flourished in the second century and the third century called Gnosticism, based on the Greek word gnosis, meaning no. And John is saying, no, no, don't listen to them. They don't know, but we know. And we know that we know. This is about a confidence, a deep confidence, a deep abiding conviction and assurance, it is time, friends, to resist the spirit of fear, intimidation, and doubt. And to know that we know. The evidence of history, the evidence of experience, and then the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Our faith is founded on revelation. It's founded on revelation. Faith is believing what God says. It's founded on revelation. But it's rooted in history. It's not just ideas. And historical facts are public facts. So don't let people say you've got to keep your faith private. You can believe whatever you believe. And in fact, how nice for you. And I wish I could believe what you believe. But keep it away to the margins of society. No, it is public knowledge. Anybody can investigate for themselves, as many have done, the evidence for the resurrection, the reasonableness of our faith, rooted in history. It's confirmed by reason and experience, but, but it must be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, having believed, you were sealed. That's about assurance, it's about security. The Bible speaks about the witness of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God witnesses to the truth, we know that we know. Jesus spoke about this in John 14, verse 26. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. 
and bring, your remembrance, bring to your remembrance all that I have said. This not only shows that the apostles and the disciples were able to record accurately and remember accurately what Jesus said and did, but it's a promise to all of us that we might know that the Spirit is with us. And we have received an anointing from Him which is real. And that's why we abide in Him. And that anointing teaches us all things. Praise God. The heart of the new covenant promises is they will all know Me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And I'll give them a new heart and put a new spirit in them. About ten years ago, I thought to myself, you know, I am repeating what I believe, and I believe it, and I know it, but I'm merely repeating it. Isn't it time to check it all out? Not a question of doubt, but you know, I'm repeating this quite often these days. Socrates, the great philosopher, said, an unexamined life is not worth living. Well, we're talking about faith. I would suggest to you an unexamined faith is not worth living, not worth having. To examine it, 10 years ago, and, and, and recently I've done it, I'm doing it again right now. I'm looking at the evidence, going back to the beginning, not so much as to refresh my memory, although that is useful, but that I might have the ability to explain why we believe. Not just preach to people, but take them on a journey that they may know the things that we believe are most assuredly so. Praise God for that. You know, one of the things, C.S. Lewis said this, and I think it is beautiful. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He's one of the greatest Christian apologists and defenders of the faith and expo exponents of the faith. Came to God from an atheist background. Had great doubts when his dear wife was lost to cancer. But he came through and understood that belief in the personal God of the Bible is the only thing that makes sense in our of our world. It's a reasonable faith. And I want to say to you, examining everything again and continuing to do so, I want to say to you, my experience, my testimony is this. The Christian faith is by far and away the best option in the world of rival faiths and competing ideologies. And one of the encouraging things about our society today is that there are Many, many different voices. You say, why is that encouraging? Well, because it makes us examine ourselves again to the point of renewed and fresh confidence that we have the truth and we know who He is. Many years ago, one of uh, the ladies from the church set up an invitation for me to go to speak at the... Uh, local humanist association and she said my pastor will sort you out so when I got there they were in a state of defensiveness so I said you know I'm, I haven't come here to debate but I've come to answer the question what is the Pentecostal take on Christianity 
And the person who introduced me said, I want you to know, first of all, two things about this man, Colin Dye. First of all, I want you to know that he represents not just Kensington Temple, but all of God's Spirit-filled people who believe in the Holy Spirit, not just Father and Son, but the Holy Spirit, represents the purest form of Christianity that relates to New Testament belief and practice. The second thing I want you to know, he has more people attending his church than we have humanists in all our humanist association in Great Britain. <laughs> Although that was a good, that was a good introduction. Anyway, they, I looked at these people, they were, I, I, how to describe it, they were the, apart from that fellow who was nice to me, they were, they were the bitterest, most depressed, most morose people ever. And so I presented just stuff about who we were, what we stood for, not trying to debate or, or engage or to somehow provoke them. But at the end, they rounded on me and said, well, first of all, we wondered, you're talking about icing on the cake. The whole cake is wrong. Says, so what do you mean? Said, well, Jesus never existed. I said, you say so? Oh, well, Jesus never even existed. Tell us how you can show Jesus existed. I said, go to the library, look it up for yourself, not waste my time. <laughs> no, no, we, we don't believe Jesus ever existed. That's very convenient for us. Well, what would you say to us? I would say this, first of all. I have never met a more miserable bunch of people in my whole life. I said, if I was a humanist, I'd at least try and be happy about it. They didn't like that. But by this time, we were, we were quite frank. They said, well, you know, that's not enough. I said, okay, let me tell you some more. Truth is not an ideology. Truth is not a philosophy. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And uh, you should have seen the demons manifesting. <laughs> now, this passage from 1 Thessalonians reveals the confidence that the Apostle Paul had. And uh, this man was, was a doubter. More than a doubter, he was a persecutor. And something happened to him that changed everything. And now the one who once persecuted the faith, promotes the faith. Don't give up praying for people. Nada imposible para Deus. Nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's impossible. Why don't we pray for the souls of our age? In fact, I, I'm, I'm so confident about this, I don't even need to prophesy in order to predict in the decades to come we are going to see People who are right now who are against us are going to be number one preachers and proclaimers of the Christian faith. Now there's a special context to this. Here's the story. Paul comes to preach at Thessalonica. And when he stands up to preach, he is aware of an unusual sense of God's presence. And so he says... I know that God was doing something. In fact, I know this. I'm so sure that right from the very beginning, that was proof to me that God had chosen you. 
In other words, God had marked you out for eternal life. That's very encouraging. We can never fully understand the Bible teaching on election. But we are loved by God and known by God from the foundation of the world. And many say that's not an evangelistic revelation. True. You don't go around preaching to people. This is a doctrine for the believer who has believed for two reasons. Number one, to know that God's choice of us is the ultimate confidence of our faith. Not your choice of God, which of course you have to do, because you can choose Him today and refuse Him tomorrow, but God who has chosen you will never refuse you. Second thing it encourages us is this, to be humble and not wear our faith as a badge of arrogance and pride. You know, I'm here because I did the right thing and you didn't. You know something else? As we think about London, let's change the image. There is... Hard ground, stony ground, thorny ground, but good ground. There are people right now who are waiting for the sower. That's you. To share your testimony. To speak a word. I I mentioned our congregations on Sunday in Kensington Temple that the Evangelical Alliance and the Lawyers Christian Fellowship have got together and pulled together a whole presentation on knowing what your rights are as a believer in public, in the street, in the workplace. Now, it's possible that some will want to change those laws in the future, and we must stand for them now, but you are protected by law to believe what you choose to believe to practice your faith and to share your faith provided you do it with wisdom. And as you do that, don't allow the mood of society and various law cases that have come up and which have been successful against believers, don't let that cause you to hold back. Know your rights. Study them carefully. Use wisdom and be prepared to pay the price. For whom do we have to fear? I said, who do we have to fear? Yeah, only him. Hallelujah. But on the other side of this, you know that wherever you go, led by the Holy Spirit, fully prepared and equipped to speak for him, there are going to be people that you can say, do you know what? When I shared my testimony, the words came so easily. It was amazing. The scriptures came to me so quickly. I know God was at work in you. God is at work in people here and now in this, in this great city. But I believe it was not just a testimonial for that a moment once there was a powerful meeting, a fruit, fruitful evangelistic campaign. It was more than that. The confidence that Paul had was a full, total confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he says, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, 
but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now this word, full conviction, is a strong word. It appears several times in Scripture. I'll share with you a few other verses in a moment. As where you and I can have confidence in God, it means much assurance. It means entire con- confidence, total conviction. Paul had met with the living Christ. He'd done his homework in the Old Testament. He saw that Jesus was the fulfillment. He had the eyewitness accounts, though he never walked with Jesus as a disciple while he was on this earth. And he had the overwhelming testimony of the Holy Spirit. But now he is wearing what we can describe as a coat of weighty conviction. The word here used to mean full conviction is a word that has at its heart an implication of carrying a weight. A weight of conviction, having been fully persuaded that what you are standing for is true. He'd had all the evidence he needed. Now he was sure of what he believed and he lived accordingly. We need that coat of conviction today. To stand firm, to advance the gospel and to represent Jesus in the world and to show them the reality of the kingdom, wearing the coat of kingdom confidence. Now, I travel lots of different places in the world and I've got kind of used to know what I have to pack. If I go to a place full of ice and snow, I've got the coat. If I go to a place where it's very rainy, why bother, stay here in London, I've got the coat. God has provided you with a coat for all seasons, all weathers, all times, all places, and all temperatures. It keeps you warm in the winter. It keeps you cool in the summer. It keeps you focused when you are confused. It keeps you protected when you're in the battle. Now, there are three layers to this coat that I'm going to share with you tonight. It is a conviction, a full assurance that comes from knowing Christ. Colossians 2 verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches, here it is, of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Vine, in his expository diction of New Testament words, says at this point, this is the freedom of mind and confidence from understanding Christ. Wrestle with doubts. It's not sin to have doubts. But you can overcome doubts and be the stronger for it. Do you doubt that Christianity is the truth? Are you timid at times when people challenge you? and Say, no, Jesus is not the Son of God. God can't have the Son. How dumb can you be, they say. Or, well, you know, science has proved that the universe made itself out of nothing. Yeah, 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 the scientists are saying that. Do you think, oh, I better not go there. I'll just keep it to myself and I'll love Jesus in my home and in the quietness of my fellowship cell group. No, no, no. There's a freedom of mind that comes from confidence. 
And confidence comes from understanding Christ. You know you have met Christ, and it's not just experience only. I, I spend so much time talking to non-Christians, and I have a group of people that will come and meet me where, wherever I travel. They text and uh, send these WhatsApp stuff <laughs> all, all over the world. My girlfriend's left me. What do I do? I've got an acne problem, Colin. What do I do? They're friends. Gradually, they're coming to Christ. But they challenge me. And, and I ask questions, and I've got the answers. I've got the answers after how many years. Of course, we've got the answers. But it's not just about having the answers. It's having the sensitivity of the Spirit to speak into their lives. And you can't do that without listening. And I'm convinced more than ever before that the only answer is coming to an experience and an understanding of who Jesus is and what God's primary agenda is, which is through Jesus to bring His kingdom into the world and His kingdom is real. Another one. Hebrews 6, 11. Here it is. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. This tells us that the kingdom of God is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Vine says of this, this is the engrossing effect of the expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises. Wow. The engrossing effect of the expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises. That's part of Christian life. To have hope and confidence knowing that not one of his promises is going to fail. If he says the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is coming. If he says the kingdom is going to take over, the kingdom's going to take over. If he says he's got a promise for you, and you can believe him, you can trust him. This is not an, the immature kind of faith, the blabbered and grabbed kind of faith. The kingdom means I get all that I want now, and heaven can wait. No, no, no. As much as we know that God intervenes in our lives, how just let's just do a quick, not scientific, straw poll here. How many people ask the question, how many people are able to lift their hand and say, I know God is real, He hears me, He's answered prayer, He's met my needs. Let's see. Okay, there's so many people who haven't got their hands up. Is, is it arthritis problem? <laughs> let me ask you again. How many people know that God has answered prayer and fulfilled a promise in your life. Amen. Now another test. How many are still waiting for something that has not yet happened? Oh, you got your hands up very quickly there. <laughs> now part of Christian maturity, and this is something I'm dragging you guys sometimes kicking and screaming, and the others like me who are wanting to bring the whole of the charismatic movement out of babyhood into a maturity, away from a spirit of gimme, 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 demanding to say, here I am. What can I do for you, Jesus? And we know, I know already in my own life, that's why that book on healing is so powerful. Wrote the first version way, way back, 
Believe in God for a miracle in our family, which has not yet come. And our daughter is with Jesus. We shall see her again. Her healing is complete in heaven. Whatever you know of God on the earth, whatever promises are fulfilled on this earth, the majority of them, the bulk of them, do not belong for now. They belong for the future. Our hope is in you, Lord. And this is enough to engross you. We are saved by faith unto hope. Hope is a future expectation. The majority of the blessing is yet to come. It will not be experienced on this earth in this time. But when Jesus comes and brings the whole of heaven to earth, then, then we'll look back and say, wow, it was worth the wait and I'm glad I persevered to the end. Praise God for that. The full assurance of faith. The fulfillment of God's promises. The engrossing effect of the expectation of the fulfillment. We think of Abraham. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he's promised you? That's confidence. That's confidence. I love the three guys who went through the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love it. They said, our God will deliver us. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, who do you think you are? We're not going to bow down to you. We serve the true and the living God. I'll throw you into fire. Our God will protect us. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't know this, O king, we will never, never, never bow to your idol. Finally, the kingdom is fellowship with the living and the true God. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the character of the faith by which we draw near to God. How wonderful. And you know this, this is what it's all about. God has given you a supernatural faith, a supernatural assurance that is based on the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, knowing that He has fully qualified you to stand in His very presence and to draw near to Him without fear of rejection, condemnation, or any form of neglect. And I believe that the next four years as we pursue the vision 2020, as we are increasingly drawn into the life of faith, 
and increasingly convinced of the reality of who Jesus is, the reality of the kingdom, it's not make-believe, it's not hope-so, it's not a private idea. God's kingdom has come and it will come and it will come in its fullness. As we go forward in faith, more and more and more, God is saying, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. This coat I'm talking about is a coat that is, it, it, it's, it's almost visible, it's so real. It's an invisible coat, but when you're wearing it, when you're wearing the confidence of God, it affects how you walk. It affects how you talk. It affects what you do. It affects everything about you because you say, I know whom I have believed. That's what this generation needs. Not fanatics. I'm talking about confidence. I'm not talking about a stressed out spirituality which is a contradiction in terms. I'm talking about that quiet, calm confidence. That even when it looks as if we're failing and the devil is winning, we say, sit down for you. You go well with the righteous. Where's my Sierra Leonean friends? Only one. And, and this isn't arrogance. It's a confidence. You're not threatened. You can take it. They slap you on the cheek. You know it. Remember Eldon Corsi recently went to be with Jesus, who was my pastor when I first got saved, baptized me in 1985 in Kensington Temple. Back in the day, times have changed. It's not like this today. We used to have some weird people coming. <laughs> they were the scroungers and the loungers. And one guy didn't get what he wanted, went into Eldon Corsi's office and struck him. Eldon Corsi dusted himself down, stood up, smiled, and said, God bless you. So the guy turned around to walk out. He said, just before you go, let me know this. You met the new Eldon Corsi today. If you'd met the other Eldon Corsi, <laughs> he would have pinned you against the wall and smashed your head in. Just remember that. It's confidence, and it's almost visible wearing the coat of tangible, near-visible confidence. That's how we learn to live the reality of the kingdom. It's not an invisible, private spirituality. It begins in the secret of your heart, but it manifests in everything about you. Your faith, your life, your testimony, your confidence in God. How you pray, how you conduct yourself in the world, and how you do not retaliate, but how you love those who persecute you and despitefully use you. You may say to me, Colin, it's cold outside. Learn to wear your coat. It's, it's raining heavily. 
Learn to wear your coat. They're insulting me. Wear your coat. They're threatening me. Wear your coat. They're accusing and condemning me. Wear your coat. I'm full of fear and intimidation. Okay, I'm wearing my coat. Are you wearing your coat tonight? This ain't a gimmick. It is a weight, a gravitas, a conviction that arises deep within and it presses upon you heavily but gloriously, weightily upon you. It's the very glory of God wearing your coat of kingdom confidence. That's how we begin to live the reality of the kingdom.